my friend. Welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is a show that's meant to help you remember who you truly are. I'm Ashley Stahl, a career expert, the author of the new book, U-Turn, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, and Design Your Dream Career. It's now available everywhere books are sold. And it's my honor to bring you guest conversations or even a solo episode with me every single week, all designed to help you elevate your confidence in work, in love, and in life. This is a place for you to reconnect to who you truly are, what you truly want, and to really heal from anything that is telling you that you are otherwise. Wherever you are, I am so grateful to be here in your ears. And I also want to give a shout out with so much thanks to our sponsor, Organifi. You can find them over at Organifi.com slash U-Turn. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. And when you use the U-Turn checkout code, you get 20% off your order. They make the most magical elixirs, whether it's powders for you to get your greens on every day, really tasty, clean protein powders to add into your diet. I have them every single morning. Probiotic powders to help you really heal and strengthen your immune system. So much more. Now let's get in to this week's conversation. Hello, my U-Turn friends. It's Ash here, and I'm so excited to be on the line with a really special guest, Dr. Kristen Willemeyer. She is the author of the book, Biohack Your Brain, How to Boost Cognitive Health, Performance, and Power, out on December 29th, 2020. So make sure you get your copy for your own brain health. Just a little bit more about her. She conducted her graduate research in the lab of neuropsychology physiology at University of California, Los Angeles, and the lab of neurogenetics at Cedar. Sinai Medical Center, so not too shabby. She also received her MS degrees in physiological science and neurobiology and a PhD degree in neurobiology. So obviously she doesn't really know much. I mean, come on now. (laughs) And she's also the recipient of an NIH fellowship award from the National Institute of Mental Health and has presented her work internationally. She lives in LA just like I do. I'm so excited to ask her about how you can start taking care of your brain health There is so much new research going on right now. I know that we're going to talk a little bit about brain imaging and how, you know, she's taken a look at different brain images and that's really been insightful. So hello. Thank you so much for being here. Hello, lovely Ashley. Thank you for the introduction. And it's such a pleasure to be here with you today. I mean, you are just so wrapped up in your education. I'm curious (laughs) what, what fueled your fire because I know that you know, some people like me want to be an eternal student, but then other people don't love school. Like what, what gave you that grit and interest? To go into the field of neuroscience? That's a yeah. great question. <laughs> so I started my education back in Boston. I went to Boston College and did an undergraduate degree in psychology and studied cognitive psychology. And prior to even going to college, I spent 10 years showing horses. So I was a competitive equestrian growing up in the Midwest showing in the hunters and jumpers. And my goal of going into psychology was to actually go into the field of sports psychology. And I wanted to work with Olympic athletes and elite athletes, how to train their mind to excel when they compete. Once I got 
to Boston College and started delving more into the field of sports psychology, I realized that I wanted to go a little bit more into the harder sciences, found an interest in medicine and research, and I happen to be dating somebody who was a team doctor for the New England Patriots. He he got me to switch. He got me to switch my career interests from going to medical school into going into more of the harder sciences. One of the things that he did was work with the athletes in preventing hamstring injuries. And he was really big into the research element of things. So he had said to me, you know, Kristen, why do you want to go to medical school? He's like, I think the way your brain is wired, you would really excel in the neurosciences. So of course, you know, looking up to him and just thinking, oh my gosh, okay, he's so smart and so wise. Why don't I just follow his lead? And uh, that's why I applied to UCLA. And instead of doing an MD program, that's why I did the master's degree first in physiological science, decided to try research fell in love with it. He was absolutely right. I just had a natural aptitude for being in a laboratory setting. And just between you and I, I mean, research isn't for everyone. It's a little bit of an, you have to be a little bit of an introvert and enjoy spending many hours alone with, uh, you know, dissecting brains and, you know, peering into a, a microscope for hours on end, trying to understand mechanisms that are happening at the level of the single cell. And for somebody who is extroverted, which I am as well, it's a discipline that uh, just requires, I think, some introversion. So I loved it, um, probably because I'm an only child. So I'm pretty good at entertaining myself. Uh, went into the master's degree, absolutely, like I said, fell in love with neuroscience. And that's why I continued to stay and do research on Parkinson's disease. So that's what I studied um, with the second and third degrees, the master's and PhD, I studied the young onset form of Parkinson's disease. So there's mutations in a gene called Parkin. And when people have mutations in this gene, they get Parkinson's disease at uh, age 40 or younger. And I will share with you sort of the great irony about doing research in Parkinson's disease is 10 years later, my father ended up getting diagnosed with Parkinson's. So that was uh, you know, another story. And it's another component that I added to the book, um, based on, you know, all of my research, also having a family member who struggled with a degenerative disease for two decades. Um, I have such compassion and understanding of what it's like to live with somebody who has that kind of a disease finished, uh, the PhD, then in 2009, I started working for the Amen Clinic. So I had a dual role. I was the director of clinical neuroimaging research, as well as the director of nutrition and nutraceuticals. So for people who aren't familiar with the Amen Clinics, they are a nationally recognized um, healthcare center. So they're an outpatient psychiatric center, and they specialize in using brain imaging in the treatment of complex psychiatric cases. So what that means is the patients that were walking through our door tended to have failed working with three previous treatment providers, and we're looking for answers and how to address issues with anxiety, depression, ADHD. So we used the neuroimaging component along with 
um, assessing their symptoms, their neurocognitive and neuropsychological symptoms, and we could tailor treatment programs for those patients. The Amen Clinic sees on average 4,000 patients a month. So when I ran that neuroimaging department, what we did is we collated 30 years of patient data into this massive brain imaging database, which had about 130,000 brain spec imaging scans. So needless to say, I spent a considerable amount of time looking at thousands of brain scans and helping patients address their brain health issues. As the director of nutrition and nutraceuticals on that end, I worked to test the efficacy of nutritional supplements. Mm, We can delve into that because most people don't know, you know, you walk into the Whole Foods, you see all of these nutritional supplements there, you know, what to take, does it work? How much do I take? So part of my role was to show that the nutritional supplements that we were recommending make a tangible and measurable difference in brain health. And we could do that through neuroimaging. So we could see if you took supplements A, B, and C, we could look to see, does it cause changes in blood flow? Does it cause changes in electrical activity of the brain? So that was really fascinating because it just took understanding nootropics and nutraceuticals to a whole nother level. Um, And I used to do brain health consults for our patients at the clinic, helping them to navigate being on psychiatric meds and transitioning them to not only healthier nutraceutical options, but also tailoring their diet and lifestyle to be able to help support healthier brain function. I love this. And I think one of the biggest blocks for me in taking supplements is, and it's so funny because before we started recording, I didn't even ask you about supplements, but then you mentioned it. It's like, we're in a time right now where there's so much fear about getting COVID. And I've kind of had a mind shift where instead of buying into so much fear, I was like, okay, how do I go the alternate route and just get really boosted in my immunity so that I don't catch this thing versus being afraid all the time. And I, I'm curious, like with all of the supplements I'm taking, what were some of the biggest findings that you saw in whether some supplements work or not? Such a great question. And I'm right there with you. I'm so proud of you that you are taking a (laughs) proactive approach to your health because we need it, you know, now more than ever in the time of COVID. I mean, we're seeing more um, increased anxiety and stress and people, you know, we've got 37 million people worldwide who've actually gotten COVID, gotten over the symptoms, but then they have these sort of longer lasting neurological symptoms and neuropsychiatric symptoms like depression and brain fog. And they're looking for very sort of tangible, practical ways. How do I take care of my brain health? So I'm going to ask you which things you're taking because I'm super curious, but um, in in addressing your first question, I will say, you know, and I delve into this in the book, in 2009, um, when I started working at the Amen Clinics, one of the first large-scale studies that I did was looking at the effects of playing football on long-term brain function. And that first study, we looked at 100 professional football players um, looking at their brains both functionally and electrically, as well as doing neurocognitive and neuropsych assessments. And, you know, it doesn't take a nine-year-old to determine, you know, playing football is not a brain health sport. So needless to say, many of these guys were struggling with neurocognitive and neuropsychological issues. And the brain imaging clearly showed deficits in blood flow globally throughout the brain. So mm. what we wanted to do, right... 
we don't just run studies at a psychiatric clinic and then tell people, you know, goodbye, like, here's your results. Here's your brain. I'm so sorry. This is what it looks like. We are proactive and we wanted to put these players on a, um, comprehensive sort of nutraceutical program that was also combined with diet and lifestyle modifications. So yours truly ran a brain directed weight loss group for our football players, um, because half of them were overweight or obese and having excess weight on your body damages brain function. But the other component was, uh, nutraceuticals. And so in the book, I, you know, I delve into some of the nutraceuticals that we used with the players, but I'll just tell you overall, everybody got a high quality brain directed multivitamin because, you know, as we get older, especially if we've had traumatic brain injuries, the brain needs the extra nutrient support. Um, they all got a high quality, um, highly potent omega-3 fatty acids. So they tend to get two to three grams of this fish oil. The fish oil helps to um, restore the cellular membranes in the brain. And it's also an extraordinary anti-inflammatory agent. So multivitamin, omega-3 fatty acids, and then we created a brain boosting formula that had N-acetylcysteine, which is an extraordinary antioxidant, acetyl-L-carnitine, which helps the brain make acetylcholine, which is a neurotransmitter required for memory. Um, alpha lipoic acid helps to keep blood sugars balanced, which is important, especially because having elevated blood sugar can cause a type three diabetes in the brain. We also had huperzine A, which helps to boost acetylcholine as well. And two things to help open up the blood vessels to get more blood flow to the brain, those being vinpocetine and ginkgo biloba. So now I'm going to throw it to you. Please tell me what nutraceuticals you are taking for COVID to just help boost your immune system and help sort of help you to feel just stronger and being more proactive. I love that you're asking because I, it's almost kind of embarrassing, but I never, and I almost didn't know what a nutraceutical meant. And I realized it's a supplement, correct? It's a supplement. I'm sorry. Okay. It's, a fan, it's a fancy way to say supplement. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm <laughs> My so apologies. Wrong. No, it's, 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 it's interesting. I am taking a bunch of them and I couldn't even recite all of them because my friend's husband, who is a chiropractor and brilliant supplements gave me some, but I can say, um, I have a little list here. If I pop it open, one is rhodiola. Yes. Rhodiola is amazing. Yes. Okay. And then another one is something with, it's called spleen PMG that I'm taking from standard process. I'm not really sure. Oh, they're good. And then another one that I'm taking is every morning I have liposomal vitamin C, like the liquid vitamin C. And then I'm also taking, gosh, what else is there? I'm taking D and also oil every single day. I think that's fantastic. So the rhodiola helps you. It's an incredible adaptogenic herb. So the rhodiola plant is found grown. These adaptogens are found grown like at the top of the Himalayan mountains. So they can withstand the stress of low oxygen and cool temperatures. So when we take it in our body, it actually allows our body to be able to adapt and handle stress more effectively. So I love that you're on the adaptogens the omega-3 fatty acids you absolutely need, um, again, to 
rebuild cell, cellular membranes in the brain, um, but it's also an amazing anti-inflammatory, which we need, right? One of the effects of COVID is this you know, massive inflammatory response that goes on in the body. The vitamin C is excellent because it's an extraordinary antioxidant. And so you should be taking that, you know, morning and evening vitamin D, the same thing. They're showing that vitamin D, low vitamin D levels, just as a little FYI for the brain. So not only do they help keep inflammation down in the body, but um, they also help to improve your mood. So people who... Yeah, people, yeah, if they're low. So people who struggle with depression, um, two nutraceuticals to use are the omega-3 fatty acids and just get your vitamin D levels up into a healthy range. So at at the clinic, we we pretty much look at everybody's uh, lab work and vitamin D levels, the normal range is usually between 30 to 100 nanograms per deciliter. But to really be healthy and optimized, you want to get those levels between 60 to 80. So in my experience, most people are deficient in vitamin D. Well, I was confused because you had mentioned that low levels create all of these positive things, but then there's such a thing as too low, I'm guessing? Oh, yeah. no, no, no. Uh, so low levels are associated with um, inflammation and an increased right. risk of Alzheimer's and dementia. So we actually want to boost your vitamin D. Got it. Okay. Which is great. Oh no, go ahead. And the other one that I really like, I think is helpful for COVID is zinc. Um, So Mm. taking a liquid zinc uh, because zinc will help to keep the pathogen load down. Mm, Got it. Okay. This is so interesting. I like your protocol. I'm really proud of you. I actually just looked it up as you were talking and I found more. I'm also taking Boswellia complex every day. I'm not sure if you know about that one. Okay. Very foreign to me. And then echinacea yes. and congaplex. So the echinacea is another adaptogen. And what's the last one? Congaplex. Don't know that. Oh. <laughs> I could look that up to see what it is. Congaplex. It's scary. I don't know what I'm taking. I just know that my friend's husband, I trust him with everything inside of me. So I'm like, all right, if he thinks these are going to help. Apparently it's a super herb collection. Um, but this is just really helpful to hear. And I, I want to ask your feedback on, I know I'm not a no doctor here, but I had a, a doctor once tell me that right before I'm getting sick, it's okay for me to take a um, hundred thousand IU of vitamin mm-hmm. D for mm-hmm. a couple of days in a row to like really boost up my system. And one question I always have, number one, I feel like I'm committing suicide when I'm taking that milk because I'm, I'm like holding like 25 vitamin D. So I'm like this, there's something like counterintuitive about this, but number two, I'm just wondering like, have you seen in the brain if that kind of boost of vitamin D actually helps or even a boost of vitamin C right before you're getting sick? Well, number one, the vitamin C is water soluble. So you have to just keep taking it every day. That's why I like when you start to feel yourself getting sick, just take a thousand milligrams or one gram. So just get a one, you know, a thousand milligram capsule and take one. You can take one each hour or you can take one in the morning, in the evening. Plus I see Yeah, the vitamin C. We'll start with vitamin C first. And the other thing you can do when you feel yourself getting sick, you want to hydrate. So get a 1.5 liter bottle of water and you can even use emergency. I mean, I know emergency, sometimes people will take that instead of taking the vitamin C and drink that throughout the day. So you, you take the capsules 
um, the vitamin C with bioflavonoids, and then you take the water um, that's infused with the uh, emergency and drink it throughout the day, that'll definitely help. The vitamin D, so you talked about taking 100,000 units, sort of like a super boost. Yeah. The people who tend to take those big, like super boosts of vitamin D are people who have cancer um, because it's a really quick way, like your doctor said, to boost your vitamin D levels. I prefer people just take between 5,000 to 10,000 international units per day. And then when you go to get your labs done, so I hope everybody does lab work annually. It, of course, I put the word hope before because most people tend not to until they're older and then they have to. But, you know, I'm in my 40s. I do it annually. We ask all of our patients to do it annually. And a vitamin D test is very inexpensive. Um, and so it's just a quick way to look and see where are my levels at. So, you know, if you take the 100,000 units of vitamin D three days in a row and then you stop, you know, you're not going to get to the levels where they're toxic. And I'll tell you in my experience, having working, having worked in the clinical setting and, you know, managing people's vitamin D levels, you know, it takes, it takes probably taking over 10,000 international units daily you'd have to take like a super dose to really get up to between 80 to a hundred nanograms per deciliter. You know, when you're up at a hundred, that's the toxic level. But mm. in my experience, very few people, I don't think I've ever seen anyone get to that level. So in your case, doing that super, you know, infusion of vitamin D three days before, you know, if you're feeling like you're getting sick, isn't going to really um, cause too many problems. And I would add zinc in there. I would get a really good liquid mm -hmm. zinc. I do the Vimergy, which I like. It's organic. It's liquid. I just, you know, it's in my refrigerator. I do a How dropper. Do V-I-M-E-R-G-Y. Okay, cool. Yep, Vimergy liquid zinc. You just do a dropper full. I've been doing it the entire time, you know, we've had COVID. You know, I'm, I, I'm, super familiar with zinc because I have the herpes simplex virus where you get the heat rashes and cold sores mm -hmm. on the face. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that helps clear that really quickly is to either put a zinc oxide cream on top of it, um, or you can take um, zinc internally. So I've always known like zinc is amazing at just keeping uh, your immune system boosted and keeping the pathogen load down. Mm, this is so great. I get so jazzed about this stuff because it's I good. Like it works. It works. Yeah. Everything that I recommend to patients or what I reckon, what I recommend in the book absolutely works. And when you, you know, some of these basic things that we measure, you know, that you and I are talking about now, you know, you can always get labs done to check your omega-3 fatty acid levels, which I think is great. It's a blood test, um, costs around a hundred dollars, but you can see, you know, what your omega-3 fatty acid levels are and you want to, you know, you want to optimize that because it's really essential to brain health, but just having a basic multi, having a basic omega-3, marine-based omega-3 fatty acid, especially if you're not eating two servings of fish per week, which most people aren't, or you can use an algae-based uh, EPA DHA supplement like spirulina, which I love and I take every day because it's just an easy way to supplement. So just having some of these basics, which, you know, in the book, I, I literally call it like 
the basics, right? I call it the starting lineup. You know, what are some of the just basic nutrients everybody should have, especially if you're over the age of 40. If you're under the age of 40, you know, you can probably still get away with, you know, not taking every anything and, you know, getting your nutrients from whole foods. But in my experience working in the clinical setting with patients who have psychiatric issues and neurological issues and brain trauma, um, we really need to supplement. And by supplementing, you're really preserving your brain health and you feel better. Mm-hmm. Well, so this kind of brings me back to, I mean, I have so many questions for you, but if Please. I could boil it down, it's funny that you said EPA, DHA, because yeah. uh, one of the supplement brands that I buy from the most is called Pure Encapsulations. I love and, them. I love yeah, them. 100%. They're them. amazing. Yeah. I always buy from them because every doctor I know ha- says that like, and to me that means a lot. And I think sometimes we live in a country where a lot of people are buying supplements from different companies that aren't necessarily the most clean. And so I just bought their fish oil and it said EPA DHA on it. Yes. And I was like, am I supposed to have, what about just fish oil? Like all of the supplement you know, things I've seen, it just says fish oil. So EPA DHA, it's the same thing. Yet the, the fish oil is comprised of both the EPA and the DHA. So you you need both for your brain health. Your brain is primarily comprised of the DHA component. So it's a, it's literally a component of every cell membrane in your brain. So the DHA piece is essential for optimal brain health. The EPA is also essential, but it's the the DHA is the number one thing that you want to get. And the best sources of the DHA is from fish, right? Marine sources, cold water fish, salmon, trout, tuna. Um, But again, you know, a lot of people don't like to eat fish. So they then, you know, either get it through an algae you know, like I was saying, a spirulina, which I think is a wonderful alternative. I even do a fermented cod liver oil, which uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the company. But um, what I like about that is the cod liver oil has both vitamin D and vitamin A, the EPA, the DHA. So I have this sort of unique combination that I do where I eat fish. I have the fermented cod liver oil. I do the spirulina daily. So I know I'm getting, you know, a a nice uh, dose of both. And Mm. to your point, I just want to say the pure encapsulations. I love that company. They are um, exceptional quality, pharmaceutical grade, um, non-GMO, you know, gluten-free vegan capsules. So that's definitely a great source for your supplements. That's so awesome to hear from you. And it's so fun to talk about this because I feel like in a time where things can feel kind of out of control, I feel like supplementing is a way for people to start introducing some form of control over their health, even if they're not exercising, even if they're not eating well, which I know we can get into, but just kind of summarize this with supplements. You recommend like a liquid zinc, a vitamin C, a vitamin D. And is there any other one or two that you think, Hey, you should be taking this every single day. And if so, can you say what the dosage would be for like, like the quote unquote average person? Yeah. I, so some of the basic things that I like, again, a great multivitamin garden of life has a great, you know, high quality multivitamin for males and females. Um, the Amen clinics also has a brain directed multivitamin called neurovite plus again, the omega three fatty acids, usually one to two grams. I like people to take daily, you know, 
especially if you're not getting the two servings of fish each week. Uh, I like people, I sort of highly recommend the spirulina. I know we've talked about that briefly because it's another way to get um, an algae-based omega-3 fatty acid. It's also a complete nutrient. So I do five capsules a day. I just do it with my green juice every morning. And it's also a great blood cleanser and detoxifier. We talked about the vitamin. What about the chlorophyll, like spirulina liquid drops that they kind of put into the, like the hipster restaurants in your water? I I like that. I'm, I, I will tell you, so because we're doing girl talk, I think you'll really appreciate this. Um, the reason why I'm such a big fan of spirulina and I've been taking it for 20 years is back when I was a laboratory neuroscientist, um, and I was studying Parkinson's disease. One of the things that I had to do was I would dissect the brain (laughs) of a rat or a mouse, and I had to grow the neurons on a little dish. So we call it cell culture. Um, so say I would dissect out the hippocampus, which is the area of the brain responsible for learning and memory. And a lot of us who work in the field work with the hippocampus. So we dissect it out of the brain and, um, we then, uh, it's like you, you, how you want to say it sort of dissect it. And then you get the individual neurons to grow on a plate and you grow these neurons for anywhere from 15 days to a month. You know, you really want to keep the cell culture growing so you can do experiments. So one of the things that I learned about cells is that, you know, you have all of this metabolic waste that can be produced from the cells. So it makes the environment around the neurons more acidic. One of the things that I had to do to keep the cells alive is to change the external media that it was sitting in. And the media had to be slightly alkaline. So the pH of the media. So again, the cells are excreting waste products and it makes the external media acidic. And when that external media is acidic, the cell bodies would start to like explode and the, the, the beautiful neuronal processes would start to shrink. So I'd have to go in, change the media, put this alkaline media that had all kinds of vitamins and minerals and nutrients, and then I could revive the cells. And I looked, I go, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So now this is 20 years ago. I'm thinking, wait a minute, the extracellular environment is is so critical to the health of the neuron. And in fact, when the media was fresh and healthy, you saw the neuron sprout and make branches and connect with all of its neighbors. I mean, it was really extraordinary to, to watch. And these cell cultures literally looked like works of art. But I knew back then, wow, okay, the media that is around our cells is so critical. So what is that media? That's, you know, the blood, that's um, water, that's vitamins, that's minerals, again, slightly alkaline. That's when I keyed into spirulina and eating, you know, green, uh, green foods and drinking green juices. I just knew that was the key to cellular health and vitality and the key to keeping your neurons clean, healthy, functioning efficiently. So it's a long and rambling story, but to your point, um, spirulina, chlorella, any of the green superfoods and green juicing is extraordinary for your cellular health. And I recommend people do something green like that every day. 
Hey, U-Turn friends. I've got an exciting interruption about a promotion that Organifi is doing this week. They have their Harmony product, which is a chocolate-flavored powder with 12 superfood ingredients with delicious cacao and blends that not only helps PMS symptoms like bloating, fatigue, and mood swings, but also promotes better balanced hormones every single day for improved women's health. I have learned so much ever since being diagnosed with Lyme disease about hormones more than I can even share and Harmony has become a staple for me. Any orders that include Harmony right now at Organifi.com slash U-Turn. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. Any of the orders that you do that include Harmony will get free shipping. Plus, you can use the U-Turn code for checkout at 20% off as well. So it's free shipping plus the 20% off from April 30th to May 4th. I'm so excited for you to experience the magic of Harmony and just just to let me know what happens for you when you heat up your favorite nut milk, put that Harmony elixir, get that frother, and get rid of those cramps, get your hormones going. Thanks again for listening to The Interruption and back to this week's episode. I know that, um, you know, everybody's brain looks different in the imaging that you see. I would love to get my image done. So I'm curious for anybody who wants to kind of go into this level of health, do you recommend that everybody gets their brain scanned or how do you decide if this is worth your time? That I, I thank you for asking that question. That's actually a really important question. So do I recommend people get brain imaging? Yes, if you're struggling with a brain injury, a neurological issue, um, right? You have Parkinson's, you have Alzheimer's, you've just had a traumatic brain injury, you're struggling with anxiety, depression, ADHD, and you don't have your symptoms under control, then I would say yes. And I'm going to give you, and, and I would also say, you know, everybody should probably have their brain imaged once in their lifetime, especially even if you're healthy, just to take a look at what's going on under the hood. Cause we always say in the clinics, you know, how do you know, unless you look, there are different kinds of imaging. So what I would recommend that anybody could do is called a quantitative EEG, which looks at the electrical activity of the brain. It's fairly inexpensive, usually around five to $600. It is non-invasive. Um, so you're not exposing your brain to any radioactive tracer. And what we do, and I used to do these in the clinic is I put the electrodes all along the scalp, measure your brain activity with your eyes open and your eyes closed. And then I could compare it to a normative database. So we could see how your brain is functioning compared to somebody your age and your gender. And that would give me an idea. Okay. It would tell me what areas are working too hard, which areas aren't working well enough, or if your brain looks beautiful. And I think that's something that anybody can get done at any time in their life. And if they're having issues, there's a therapy called neurofeedback, which we could use to help correct some of the imbalances in the way the neurons are connecting and communicating in the brain. The next level of getting your brain imaged, and this is what we do at the Amen Clinics, is called a brain SPECT scan. So SPECT stands for single photon emission computed tomography. Now that is, um, you do use a radio uh, nucleotide. So 
that is exposing you to some um, radioactive tracer. And you have to take that into account if you're going to get that kind of imaging done. So what I recommend is if you're struggling with a complex psychiatric disorder and you've been to several psychologists and you and, and or psychiatrists and you haven't found the solution or the right kind of medication for you, then I think that kind of brain imaging is essential because we can take your results and tailor either a supplement or medication pro, uh, protocol specific to your brain. Mm, this actually wants me, makes me want to ask you a little bit about depression. Like sure. I think it's, it's such an interesting time right now with the amount of anxiety that almost feels like it's just in the air. It and is. It is. And, it and is. I'm wondering for a lot of people, it's like temporary and fleeting and just something that they're going through in a phase. But for other people, it's medical and chemical. Is that something you can see on their brain or yes. what are some <laughs> indicators that you would see with that? Well, there's, there's two ways that you can, so there, there's the standard way that you get diagnosed for depression and, you know, it follows the DSM-4, DSM-5, you know, diagnostic. So there's a symptom checklist that we can go through to see, you know, do you have the symptoms of it? But what I love about the brain imaging is we can see the neurobiological markers that go with depression and there are different um, types of depression in the brain. So there's some people who have more of a, a seasonal affective disorder type depression where we see elevated activity in the thalamus. So that's deep, deep within the brain. We call it the brain's relay centers and it's involved in mood and bonding. And so um, an hyperactivity of that area can cause depression. Um, we also see it in the frontal lobes. So for some people, if we see really low activity in the frontal lobes, we know that they're struggling with depression. Um, and there's, when you go into depression, there are different kinds of antidepressant medication. So there's your standard SSRIs, which are calming to the brain. And then there's ones called SNRIs, which are stimulating to the brain. So depending on the biological wiring of your brain, we may need to give you one versus the other. And this is where tailoring the treatment for depression is so important because medications have side effects. So we want to get it right. And the other thing is there are natural supplements that can be used. So sometimes we do that approach first, and then if that's not going to work, we'll go into the medications. Okay. This is so helpful because I think a lot, a lot of, um, in personal development, we hear a lot about talking it out in therapy. And I do realize that for some people there's an imbalance in their chemicals and, yes. you know, nature versus nurture at some point, like medication is truly the, the answer for certain situations. I, I will tell you working in the psychiatric setting. So, so there's a few things, you know, depression has so many shades. I think there's a continuum of depression. And as we were saying here in the podcast, you know, right now people who are recovering from COVID symptoms, um, they're calling them the long haulers. So they have these issues with brain fog and depression. And one of them um, is Chris Cuomo. So he's one of the news anchors on CNN. He got through COVID, but he, you know, and he's going to work every day, but he's really struggling. He said, I go to work you know, I've never had depression before, but I have this malaise and brain fog and just this, you know, I'm not feeling like myself. And I feel like a lot of people are going through it. So 
we can start with some of the basics, like getting your um, nutrients into your body so we know that you can make the appropriate neurotransmitters. Again, this is why I love people taking a basic multivitamin. So you have the basics. So your brain um, can make the serotonin, the dopamine, the norepinephrine, some of the key neurotransmitters that helps to keep your brain balanced um, and doing the omega-3s, which also will help with depression and stabilize your mood and the vitamin D, which is helpful. You want to get that in more of an optimized range. So those are some simple things you can do. Talk therapy is amazing for people. The reason why I like it is when we have mood issues, a lot of times we go inward and we don't talk. And one of the healthiest ways to release emotions and release things is to be able to have a safe space to talk about it. So for some people, um, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, all very effective at helping people to get back on their path. And even a great life coach that you can talk to that's uplifting, that can help you strategize ways to get through a depressive episode and to get more um, back onto your life path is really helpful. But if it's biological, so if you have a family member that has depression, you know, you probably have a good chance that it's, there's a biological link. And if it's biological and neurochemical, well, then we need to go in and make some adjustments. And that's where we have the supplements. We've got the medications. We have neurofeedback, which can work. We have transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is used for treatment-resistant depression. So we have all sorts of wonderful tools that are extraordinarily effective. And we just want to make sure we pick the right tool for you. So you get the best result right away without any, you know, unintended side effects. I love this. And I'm, I'm also, I know diet is a big deal and sleep. And I would love to just kind of riff on that briefly with both of those. Um, are there some musts that you think people are not doing enough or that really concern you when you kind of take a look at people's brains thinking, wow, if they just ate this thing a little bit more, this might not be happening in their brain scan. <laughs> you know what the number one way we can help improve people's brain scans is to get them exercising more. So one of the easiest ways to boost blood flow to your brain is having a daily consistent exercise routine. And, you know, speaking about that, I just read um, an article today that was in the New York times uh, talking about exercise during the pandemic a study was published June of 2020. I think it was in the Annals of Internal Medicine. They looked at 455,000 people. So they looked at the step trackers that are on our Apple and Android phones. They tracked 19 million steppers, I guess, steps. And they found that worldwide movement went down by 5.5% at the beginning of the pandemic. So a lot of people just sequestered. They stayed in their homes and they didn't move at all. Yeah. And we know, um, in, you know, if you're a neuroscientist or, or taking care of your cognitive health, the number one way to keep blood flowing to the brain is through exercise. And I just find that, you know, unless you're consistent about it, you know, people don't do it. They just forget to move. And it's one of the fastest ways we can get more blood flow to your brain. And if you think about it, there's 400 miles of blood vessels in your brain alone. So by moving, 
not only do you get more oxygen-rich blood flowing to your brain, um, it helps to clear the plaques that are start to build up along your blood vessel walls. It'll help to um, expand and dilate your blood vessels, again, which will keep the blood flowing. Uh, it just is so helpful to keep your brain younger. So that would be the number one thing I'd recommend. And you know, I, we used to tailor exercises based on the way your brain is wired. So for example, if you struggle with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, the best kind of exercises that will boost the neurochemicals that help you with focus is the high intensity training, the HIT exercises. So you do yeah. sprints, you know, real fast paced exercise seems to work best for them. Um, if you struggle with anxiety, we want you to do more calming exercises. That's where the yoga comes into play. That's where hiking comes into play. That's where, you know, doing more meditation that actually calms down those networks in the brain. And then if you're struggling with depression, that's where the longer sustained cardiovascular exercises help. So, you know, you're jogging or running or cycling or even swimming those that you're doing for longer extended periods of time help to not only release endorphins, which make us feel better, but also more of the serotonin and some of the other chemicals that help keep our mood balanced. And that's, mm. I, I actually think right now during a time of COVID where, you know, we're all on edge. I mean, even people with great brain health, how can you not feel anxious and stressed just by watching the news. We pick up on all of that, all of that in our environment, all of our friends, we're, we're actually pulling it into our minds, um, our subconscious minds. And so it's impacting us. Yeah. This actually brings me to another question, which is with my, with my own anxiety, I've worked a lot over my life to heal from whatever anxiety kind of has seeped in. And I've had so many different, I think somewhat traumatic life events, whether it's, you know, my sister dying, you know, a couple of years ago. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. Thank you. It, you know, what's interesting about it is that it feels almost like it's in my family tree. Like my dad mm -hmm. is a highly anxious person. He's like the fun of the room and the stress of the room, you know? And I was looking at him the other day because he's like the youngest looking 77 year old man I've ever seen. Ooh. And I was like, dad, you look so young. He's like, you can look at it on the outside, but if you cut me open, you'll see on the inside, I'm definitely not young. And yeah. I love him. He's hilarious. He's such a character, but I have felt like I've watched him stress and be anxious a lot of his life. And I too, as a kid really carried that with me. And while I've done so much therapy in my own personal development, one way that I see stress and anxiety show up is through my breathing. Yes. I have very, very, very shallow chest breathing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I feel like I can't get enough air. Um, you know, just from the day. And it, and it's weird because people will say to me like, well, what are you thinking about when that's happening? I'm like, nothing. Like, it's not even like being triggered by a it's thought. Automatic. Mm -hmm. So what do you think that's about? And, and I want to just also, so looking at that and like breathing and that kind of anxiety and also burnout and what that does to your brain. Those are two questions that I'm curious about. Both great questions. And I will share with you my own personal story, which is why I really appreciate even what your dad said. So first of all, I feel like I want to study your dad. I love people who are, you know, in their seventh, eighth, ninth decade of life, that they look young, they feel good. And he knows, you know, he knows himself. Um, I, 
my mom's family's from New York. So I grew up around very strong willed, tough, um, New Yorkers. <laughs> and I, I, you know, <laughs> I used to think that I was calm, but when I was a child and I, I mentioned this in the book, I had a disorder called trichotillomania, which is you, you pull your hair out from anxiety. So as a young child, I would pull my hair out and my mom who was horrified. She's like, I can't have my blonde haired child walking around with a big bald spot. So she somehow was able to transfer the behavior of the hair pulling from me to these little baby raggedy, I don't know, raggedy and dolls or some kind of dolls. And I remember I had stumbled upon them in the cupboard. Like she had this box of like bald dolls or like they had little tufts of hair. And I, I don't know to this day, I don't know how she was able to get uh, that to happen, but it, <laughs> so I've known internally, you know, I've always been a little bit of a, uh, I've had that anxiety piece but I always thought I had it under control. And then when I started working at the Amen clinics, you know, a lot of us who work there, of course, by default, end up getting our brain imaged both electrically and functionally. And, um, when looking at my scans, I had excess activity in my anxiety centers, which are, uh, the basal ganglia, um, and even a little bit in the anterior cingulate gyrus, which is in the front part of your brain. We call it the brain's gear shifter. So when it's working too hard, you have trouble shifting from thought to thought. So it can kind of get you stuck in thoughts, which is uh, what happens when people get on the negative spin cycle, you know, and they're like, I can't, you know, it's like the monkey on the wheel, like can't stop thinking. That's because of the way the circuitry of your brain is wired. So when I saw the scan, I was shocked. And I remember telling Dr. Raymond, I said, why am I anxious? And he's like, well, your mom, of course, you're, you're tough, you know, authoritarian, strong-willed New York mother, right? Sort of probably caused you to have this. And then it was just like a part of my life. The the downside. Is it just uh -huh. part of your life when you have a parent like that? Cause I think you're hitting on a really good point where like, for me, I have this breathing issue where mm -hmm. even at night, my partner will tell me I wake him up because I'm hyperventilating sometimes in my sleep a little bit. So I, I have an, an, I have an idea for you. So I'm, I'm the one thing that I am, I have are, I'm like a strategy. I'm like a brain strategist. So when I hear what's going on with people, I'm like, Oh, you need to try this for me. I will tell you my anxiety comes through at night when I grind my teeth. So teeth grinding while you sleep is stress. And, um, the unfortunate consequence of that. Now I've been going to my dentist and I'm telling you for years, he's like, you have to wear your mouth guard. You have to wear your mouth guard. So I finally, you know, have been wearing my mouth guard every night and I'm still grinding. And he's like, Kristen, I'm going to have to rebuild all of the teeth in your mouth, which, and he scares me. He's like, it's going to cost $70,000. Like you have to stop grinding your teeth. Now it's what, it's like somebody telling you to breathe, to belly breathe. And you're yeah. like, I can't, like, I'm just a chest breather. Um, so there are things we can do to calm anxiety down. And I'm, I'm going to give you a couple ideas. Um, you know, well, number one, you should probably be doing magnesium at night before you sleep. So magnesium, um, so there's a, there's a company called natural calm. 
um, and it's our natural vitality and it's a calm powder. It's a magnesium citrate and you just do a spoonful. You could do a little teaspoonful in water 30 minutes before you go to sleep. Magnesium naturally calms the brain down. It, it, it binds to what's called the NMDA receptor, which causes the neurons to stop firing. So that would be number one. You probably definitely need magnesium. It'll just help calm your brain. Number two, you probably need a GABA supplement. So you could go to pure from uh, pure encapsulations and get GABA, take that in the evenings, again, 30 minutes before bed. Cause if you're anxious and it's happening while you sleep, you're probably not getting a really deep restorative sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would take that for you in the morning, in the, in the morning and evening. And trust me, it won't make you feel dull. Um, you'll still be able to be sharp, but it'll take the edge off. And that rhodiola that you were taking to help you with the COVID will also is a great adaptogen, right? So it'll help with your stress. Then for you, um, when we're out of COVID and it's more comfortable to be able to go out into the world and have things done nighttime acupuncture, and you could probably have some points done in your head, which will calm your brain down. Now I used to do this in graduate school all the time. I'd literally leave UCLA and go. There was a place called Emperor's College. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's on Wilshire and 18th. And, uh, I would have the students work on me. I have a chart that's like ginormous. Cause I went there for like 10 years. Um, but I'd have them do points in my head in the evenings. And then I'd go home and just, I'd be out like a light. So we can have you do that. And we can also have you do some neurofeedback, which will calm the very specific circuits in your brain that are making you anxious. So we've, we've kind of have all of those layers of things and you definitely want the omega-3 fatty acids that'll help with the anxiety. So so that's so those are many strategies and then if that doesn't help you what we may want you to do is go and get have a session done um of hypnotherapy and mm. there's somebody that I could recommend for you to speak to your subconscious mind and when we speak to our subconscious mind cuz sometimes that's where the the memories and the traumas are mm -hmm. um you know before the age of 8 we literally uh age seven, you know, we're kind of working on autopilot and a lot of those beliefs and systems are in the unconscious mind. Um, and then you've got your subconscious mind, you know, our conscious mind is really only 10% of our thoughts. So we have a lot of these things that just bubble up, um, and, and impact how we feel. And, you know, if we can't get to it through some of the things that I just mentioned, then going to do a session of hypnotherapy can be extraordinary. And sometimes it's just one session and you're good. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? I think that collectively the average, you know, Joe or Sally, I don't know why I think yeah. those collectively <laughs> it feels like there's a belief that because it feels so hard and it's been there so long that it's going to be hard to get rid of, or it's going to take a long time to get rid of. And I love any sort of modality that can remind us, like something can free up and be gone in an instant. And that to me is one of my favorite things about personal development. A couple things like talking about burnout, um, I, I'm curious what the brain looks like on burnout. And then a silly question I have is about Botox. I've heard a lot of mixed things about Botox. I'm curious if you have a, an opinion on it. Oh, I have an opinion on Botox. I will tell you, um, between finishing my undergraduate degree at Boston college and going off to graduate school at UCLA, I worked 
for a uh, plastic surgeon, ENT, craniofacial microsurgeon in the OR. So I have seen thousands of plastic surgery procedures and <laughs> I've seen everything under the sun. So the well, let's so let's start with the Botox. Are you asking about it for beauty and health and yeah. what it could do to the brain? Or are you looking at, because people use it for, for different reasons. If you're looking at it from a beauty standpoint, the thing about the, the botulinum toxin is I would not personally, I wouldn't want that injected anywhere near my head or face okay. <laughs> um, because it's a neurotoxin. And I just, you know, I, you know, I'm at the point where I don't need that, you know, and I, I love helping people to do health and beauty tips to help keep our skin looking great and youthful and glowing. And yes, I know wrinkles happen. Um, and we live in the land of, um, Botox and plastic surgeons here in Los Angeles, but, you know, after being in neuroscience for 20 years and, looking at how precious our brain is. I mean, every single neuron that you have is precious. And because after the age of 30, we lose 85,000 neurons per day. Now that's actually not really a lot because we have over, you know, hundred billion neurons that make trillions of connections. So trust me, we can stave that off, but I just don't, want to do anything that's going to accelerate our brain aging or to put something in or near our brain, our precious brain. Um, so that's my feeling personally. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, did, did you have a very specific question about it or was it for, no, I think I, I live in L you know how we both live in LA. Yeah. It's like all of my friends I know do Botox and yeah. they look amazing when it's done right. I'm like, wow, your face looks amazing. Secondly, I have a friend who grinds at night and she was saying that her doctor said that the Botox in her masseter right. area will stop her from grinding. So I thought that was really interesting as well. Yeah. That's why I was wondering if you're asking from a aesthetic standpoint or like you said, for a, a medical condition. So I would say, because I'm just like your friend, I mean, I am right in the midst of dealing with my teeth grinding and as much, I, I love my teeth and I don't really need to buy another mouthful of teeth. I mean, just the thought, and, and I think my dentist does this to me on purpose. It reminds me of when I see somebody's brain scan and I know they need a CPAP for sleep because they have sleep apnea, but they don't use the CPAP because it bothers them. They're like, Oh, it blows on my face. I can't go to sleep. And I have to tell them, listen, if you don't, you're starving your brain of oxygen and you're doubling your risk for Alzheimer's. I'm like, let's find a way to make the CPAP work. I feel like that's what my dentist is doing to me by saying, Kristen, you need to wear your night guard. I wear it and I bring it into him and he sees, I'm like, I grind it to a pulp. I mean, the thing is just, you know, so you get to a point where you know, you really need to go in and that's why I would do the acupuncture. That's why I do the neurofeedback. And there are ways to calm these circuits down in the brain. And those ways can include the meditation, which is extraordinary. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of meditation. Um, I don't know if you've ever gone to the self-realization fellowship that's here in Los Angeles. Yeah. yeah. I was trained in how to meditate by the monks there. I did it you know, back in like 2000. And when you get trained 
in how to do meditation and you learn that it shifts your brainwave state, it, it takes meditation to a whole nother level. It takes meditation yeah. from, okay, it's not just sitting and quietly breathing and focusing on the moment. You literally shift your brain waves, which calms your brain, calms the sympathetic nervous system and getting to your burnout question, which I think is an excellent question. Burnout. Uh, so, so what does burnout look like in the brain? I think for different people, it may look different because everybody's brain is unique. It's like we have a thumbprint, you know, and our thumbprint is unique. Um, for some people, burnout is going to look like a really overactive brain, like highly high because they may be hypervigilant. So it makes their stress level go up, right? So we could see their brain may look like somebody who has post-traumatic stress disorder or post-traumatic stress, in which case the basal ganglia, your anxiety centers are lit up, your anterior cingulate gyrus, which again is the brain's gear shifter. All of that is, is hypervigilant, which makes us stay stuck in negative thought patterns. So I feel like people embracing stress reduction uh, techniques now is critical. It's now more than ever. Some of the things that I do that I'll share with you, because, you know, because I have an anxious brain, probably much like yours, I'm always, you know, every day doing things to keep my body calm. So um, I love my heating pad. <laughs> my heating pad and I are one um, because I like to, <laughs> I like to calm my whole body down. So I'll put it on my back or I'll put it on my shoulders whenever I'm working. And it's so incredibly relaxing. So I do the heating pad. Um, I listen to very specific sounds to help calm the brain. So, uh, for some people it's the sound of water. Uh, you can listen to waterfall. I listen to the sound of the Ohm chant, which is actually the sound they call it the sound of the universe. Um, just to keep the body calm, it'll shift the brainwave state, helping you to stay calmer and focused. So those are just two ways, you know, you can use GABA, you can do the magnesium that I was telling you before, uh, you can go out and exercise you can, um, smell the scent of lavender. You get a diffuser and put an essential oil in a diffuser. And what's great about essential oils is your brain has 6,000 overant receptors and they go right, you know, right to the nose and right up to the brain and they influence our emotions. So these are some of the fun little, what I would call biohacks to help keep your stress in check. This has been such a great episode. I'm going to have to have you back on. And I know everybody's going to be wanting to biohack their brain and read your book. Um, where can everybody find you or where can they get a copy of the book? I'm making sure this episode comes out right around your book. Oh, thank you. That's fantastic. Well, you can find me on uh, my website. I have, I'm at drwillemeyer.com. You can follow me on Instagram at kwillemeyer. I'm on Twitter at drwillemeyer, or you can reach out to me at LinkedIn um, at Kristen Willemeyer or Facebook. So all of the necessary social media places and biohack your brain is available on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, pretty much anywhere you can find books. I'm so excited for everybody to dig into it. Thanks again for coming on to the show. Oh, it's such a pleasure. So nice to meet you. I'm so excited to do this again. Yes, me too. Thanks again.
Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. In the meantime, if you heard about any resource that you're interested in from one of our guests, you can find it listed in our show notes on the podcast tab of my website, ashleystahl.com. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com. On that page, you'll also see our free quiz to help you discover what career path you're actually meant for. And of course, we cannot thank you enough for written podcast reviews. I read every single one. I get so motivated from reading your words and it just means the world to me that you take a moment if you have an Apple device and you write an actual review for me. Thank you so much for doing that. Appreciate you being here and cannot wait to connect with you next week.